0: Alright, welcome back to episode number 10 of Hot Takes Only, presented by the Hot Takes Network. And in case you haven't heard, Tiger Woods won the Masters. I'm pleased to be joined today by a very special co-host, HTN's own Mackenzie Turchin. Mac, it was a pretty magical Sunday at Augusta.
1: Yeah, Benny, Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, It's one of those times, I think, in our life, being 21 now, that we reach a point where The sports icons of our childhood are eventually, you know, starting to phase out. And I think for Tiger, we thought, you know, one of the biggest of our day. And we thought, you know, that it it might be it for him, 11 years. So I think for him being able to, you know, go on this 11-year road to redemption, very emotional, especially given uh, his kind of status and role that he's kind of played in our growing up.
0: We're definitely going to get more in-depth in regards to Tiger's fifth green jacket, but we've also got some other segments to look forward to. We're going to chat NHL and NBA playoffs as we're right in the middle of round number one for those sports. And then at the end of the episode, we have a very special feature, as I had the pleasure of sitting down with longtime Blue Jays radio play-by-play voice, Jerry Howarth. It was absolutely surreal being able to talk to Mr. Howarth about some of his favorite memories with the Toronto Blue Jays, because, you know, he described some moments that I remember listening to him call growing up. Uh, it could not have been any nicer, and it's honestly something I'll never forget. And I hope you guys enjoy it as well. So look forward to that later in the episode. But first, Kenzie, we got to talk about that green jacket. Eleven years, as you said, in between majors. I think it's the greatest comeback in sports history.
1: Benny, it fit. It fit fit very nicely. It
0: did fit indeed. But it, it, everything just sort of seemed to to come together so so magically and so perfect. Tiger summed it up. Uh, really well in, in, in his post uh, post round press conference when he said there were just so many different variations that could have played out on that Sunday and you know what uh, it turned out to be the most consistent player won and the consistency was Tiger Woods on Sunday it was it was just a, an incredible final round there were so many big names on the leaderboard in my opinion at least in all my times watching golf this was the best masters I've ever witnessed uh, and and Tiger winning it all to cap it off was was just incredible.
1: Yeah, I think uh when you look over the majors over the past many years, I can't remember another time when you had so many players and and quality, you know, kind of name brand players at the top of the the field and the fact that they, you know, they were all just kind of battling it out and nobody could really uh, uh do anything on that back nine to you know, give Tiger a real uh, run for his money was was pretty uh, shocking. I think I I I I'm really surprised that Molinari, after his heroics at the Ryder Cup last year, could uh, finish the deal, and this is kind of what we're left with here.
0: It was really interesting for Molinari for sure. So the uh, the clubhouse leader after 54 holes comes out really strong. Start to the day, he's putting well. He's making the putts he needs to. Sort of just. Uh, you know, Tiger used the the same word about his round. He was plodding himself along around the golf course.
1: You know, I thought he was really, uh, you know, he was making those putts, but by no means uh, was it a comfortable first nine holes for him because it seemed like, even though he was able to make them, the fact that, you know, he was under that stress, under that duress for so long where he was needing to make, you know, these... Eight to ten footers every hole just to save his par he couldn't hit a he couldn't hit a a shot in to save his life and you know every time he just seemed to be scrambling and it seemed like just a just it even though he's such a such a calm player i think regardless if that happened to tiger on sunday i think you know he would crack in the same way so i think it was just a matter of time and uh you know it, it eventually happened
0: it really came down to that 12th hole. That, that's what really set the uh, the players apart. Uh, in the last two groupings of the six players, because we were playing threesomes on Sunday, four of them ended up in the uh, the water on, on the famous 12th hole. Uh, and one of the ones that did not was Tiger Woods. It was one of those moments where uh, I expected Molinari to take the safe play. That, yes. That's sort of what he's done. In the, yep. That's sort of what he's known for. And uh, one of the most famous safe plays at augusta especially on sunday i, I think jack nicholas made this famous you don't go for the pin yep. on that traditional sunday uh location in, in the back right of the uh the green you go over the front bunker you play it to the center of the green you play it safe and then and then try to two putt for par tiger did that beautifully uh but he also got to see molinari dunk one in the water before when when molinari yeah. molinari inexplicably yep. Yep. went for that pin
1: yeah, and uh, I think the. You, you definitely. Uh, Tiger being able to see it right up and close. But I think uh, for Molinari and Finau too, he was still in the tournament at this point. Uh, the fact that, you know, 12 is kind of located just off to the side of the 11th, the T block. So uh, I'm sure that those guys coming down 11 would have been able to see that Kepka and Polter had both dunked theirs and uh, you know they see that something's going on something's not right you know if two guys like that put it in the drink you know something's got to be awry especially Kepka, the way he kind of hits his uh hits his irons so I think seeing that right ahead of you how do you not take a safer approach
0: and, and that's what I don't understand with Molinari I, I again I, I'm in your boat I don't think that there's any scenario where Molinari doesn't know what, what has happened to those two, and, and I don't know how, how, you, how you look at that hole now and decide you're going to go for the pin knowing what happened that, uh, or with, uh, with those two players. I mean, at the end of the day, if, if you look at all those shots, uh, Kepka, Poulter, Molinari, and Finau, they were carbon copies of each other they basically landed in the exact same spot and just rolled back down the hill. It was incredible. And then uh, I I always think uh, Tiger had the shot in mind. I I don't think he was ever going to go for the pin uh, and especially not after seeing what happened. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, this golf tournament was won by the person that made the fewest mistakes and that person was Tiger Woods.
1: Yeah, and I think when you look at Tiger over his career and especially on this kind of weekend, uh, he's definitely the best I think, what I could say, situational player. He plays the field. You know, he sees what everyone else is doing. Do I need to play safe? Do I need to play aggressive? Do I need to go low? When do I need to go low? Uh, I think he was just able to handle those situations perfectly where everyone else wasn't able to.
0: So the 12th hole happens, and our leaders get by there, and then absolutely all hell breaks loose on the golf course. We had so many guys in like a a 10 to 20 minute stretch that were rising up the leaderboard, falling on the leaderboard. Uh, like we had guys like Patrick Cantley have mm-hmm. the lead at the masters at one point. And then Xander Schauffele starts making his run. Brooks gets back into it. DJ looks like he's going to make a late charge. It was, it was just an incredible Sunday that you honestly like had no idea what the, what the final outcome was going to be. And uh you know, I, as I've said before, the uh, the most consistent player, Tiger Woods, makes his birdie on 13, where he should makes his birdie on 15, where Molinari ended up making a double bogey after going in the water again, and then we get to the 16th tee, when Tiger Woods hits what will be the iconic shot of this Masters tournament, and, and that is the moment when Tiger Woods was officially back. I think. And yeah, last year he won the tournament, but this was vintage Tiger Woods playing it just as you have to, as at Augusta, that 16th hole, especially with that Sunday pin location, you don't need to land it in front of the pin. You can let that slope work the ball back uh, towards the hole. He almost jars the thing, leaves himself inside three feet for an easy, uh, easy tap in birdie. That was the defining moment in my opinion. And that, that is when I, I, Sort of felt this this jubilation that tiger woods you know he he's actually going to do this he he's he's put himself in a perfect position to do so,
1: yeah, I think the way he was dialed in at that point, you know he makes the birdie to go two ahead, he's not losing that.
0: Uh, it was pretty awesome. I don't know if you caught this to see Michael Phelps right behind yes. Tiger when uh, when he uh, was hitting his shot and was calling it back to the hole. Uh, you could make the argument, and, and Alex, our our regular co-host of the podcast, he made the argument that uh, in that photo are the two greatest athletes of all time, which is definitely a hot take, and I'm that not is... sure I disagree with it. To be honest, I'm not sure I disagree with it. Well, that's that. I think we could save <laughs> that for another time, but... So he, so he makes the birdie on 16, which was incredible. And, and like I said, it looked like he was about to hole it. Then goes to 17T and absolutely plasters a drive. Steps up and absolutely crushes the thing. And at that point, as Vince Carter once said, it's over. There's nothing that anyone was going to do when he's walking around, strutting around Augusta with that much confidence like he's done so many times before there was nothing that anyone was going to do even brooks kepka i don't think brooks was going to take it away from him at that point but
1: yeah a couple of guys had a chance to move it to 13 under but uh none of them were able to so he was able to have that little uh little wiggle room come 18
0: and then then played 18 very smartly he he didn't uh didn't hit the uh didn't hit a big didn't need to hit a big shot off the tee played it to a very safe location uh, sort of front right of the green which i honestly think was intentional i i think that at that point uh with a one-shot lead knowing that he could have made bogey on the final hole i think he wanted to do everything he could to ensure that uh you know he wasn't going to be up against the face of a bunker he wasn't going to get a plugged line of bunkers so i i do believe that that sort of layup slice shot that he hit with his uh, with his approach was completely uh he completely meant to do that uh Beautiful chip. Uh, I'm going to be honest. In that situation, I probably hit that uh, chip three feet away from uh, from where I'm standing, and then uh, goes up two putts. Almost jarred it. Almost jarred the par putt. but leaves himself a uh, one foot tap in. And Tiger Woods is a five time Masters champion. It was pretty incredible. Uh, brought a tear to my eye. Not going to lie. You and I are big Tiger fans. We were texting all day. And uh, when he finally knocked in that one footer at the end, just to see the the excitement that he had and that release of energy, and when he goes over to uh, to Joe Lacava, and and says, you know, we did it, like that. That's something we haven't seen out of Tiger Woods in the other fourteen majors.
1: Yeah, I think it's you know it's been an eleven year journey since that U.S. Open, and you know he's been through so much, and I think you know it's really shaped and changed him as both a, a man and a and a player and a a father, so like the, the context of this win is just so much different than any of his others, and you could really see how much it meant to him, given all that. Unbelievable.
0: And then when he got to uh, Butler Cabin, and well, unfortunately Patrick Reed was there, not a not a fan. Uh, but anyways, Patrick Reed puts the green jacket on him. You can tell that he's absolutely Tiger is exhausted, but he's absolutely ecstatic as well. This was the goal. When he uh, had all those back procedures, when he had the fusion, this was the goal to come back and become a major champion once again.
1: Mm-hmm. Patrick Reed said something when he was <laughs> playing the jacket on Tiger. What did, what did he so, say So So it wasn't
0: actually Patrick Reed. A lot what? of people thought it was Patrick Reed. It was Tiger, actually, that said... Yeah, buddy. As as uh, he put the as he put oh. the jacket on, still hilarious yeah, though. I, was gonna, I, love I it.
1: was gonna say the the audacity of Pat
0: <laughs> trying to steal some of the spotlight. I wouldn't have been surprised at all. Um, but yeah, just just an incredible Masters tournament overall. Like we said before, one of the the best leaderboards that we've seen. Uh, just so many big names, and and you look at the past, and, and there are guys that maybe you've never heard of near the top of the leaderboard. Throughout the whole week, maybe other than I would say Justin Harding, the South African, other mm-hmm. than him, mm-hmm. most of the guys were pretty brand name guys, mm-hmm. uh, w- w- which is always what you like to see at these uh, these big golf tournaments. It was a it was a great combination of the 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 new faces of golf. As well as you still have the old guard with Phil and Tiger there. So definitely, definitely exciting.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think this distinction kind of has to be made because, I think this distinction kind of has to be made because uh, Tiger and Phil, they're mainstream brand names, but the rest of the guys, they're just golf brand names. I think, uh, you know, this tournament, in comparison to any major probably since Tiger won before. Um, the most eyes on it by far.
0: Yeah, I, I think once we see the the ratings come in, I, I think it's easily going to be the most watched Masters of all time, even with the early start time, even with the uh, yeah, the early start time and, and going off in threesomes and, and trying to schedule it uh, really late on Saturday. I still do think that... Uh, that, you know, people wanted to see Tiger get it done. And uh, I think the ratings are going to show that for sure. So next question for you, where does Tiger go from here? So we've got, we've got uh, three more majors left on the year, uh, some courses that he's had success at before in Page and, uh, and Pebble. Is it realistic to expect Tiger to win another major this year?
1: Well, I think basically how it sets up, now the PGA is in May. The U.S. opens in June. The Open's in July. So it's all very rapid fire. And we've seen the cat get off to some, you know, real streaks before, where he's won many tournaments in a short amount of time. So I think this new scheduling plays well for that, for him to be able to Take advantage this year of some of the courses he's played on in the past. However, I think we have seen that a lot of the guys are willing to step up to the plate and take him on. Obviously, Molinari cracked, but a lot of guys didn't on the Sunday, and there are a lot of guys that you know we didn't see around that leaderboard, but are obviously a threat on any week.
0: Yeah, I I think that I wrote a a blog about. Um you know, Tiger's win and, and and how he did it. And you can check it out on the Hot Takes Network website. But one of the things that I talked about was, was especially when he was coming back uh, after 08, I wasn't overly convinced that, that he was going to be able to win another major, not because of, you know, his skills and, and I'm worried about his skills, but just because of how good the golfing game has become with everyone else who's playing, uh, all these, this young generation is playing really, really well. They're all super competitive guys that, that are coming out and just being absolute killers on the golf course. Like we, you look at a guy like Brooks Kepka, nothing phases Brooks Koepka. There were, the incident uh, that we talked about on the 16th hole when Tiger almost jarred it. Brooks stepped off because people were making so much noise about Tiger and then just comes back and absolutely plasters his drive down 17. Nothing phases the, mm. these young guys anymore. So I think it was it's going to be difficult, not because Tiger can't do it, but because it's just going to be so tough to outlast every single one of them over a four-round stretch.
1: Yeah, I think at the same time, though, he's in uh, very good shape, both physically and mentally, the best physical shape he's obviously been in. Uh, forever right now and i think you could per- perhaps look at this past 11 year stretch he hasn't played a heck of a lot of golf so obviously the, the nature of his injuries you know you never know when things when the situation could change at, at any time you know maybe his back or something else gives way and you know he can't play at this level anymore but for the time being for a guy that's 43 the mileage isn't massive so, for a guy in his forties, when you think, "Oh, you know, he's competing against a bunch of against a bunch of guys that are right in the prime of their careers, and like you said they're they're killers, but at the same time, tiger's the biggest killer of them all. Tiger was the guy who started the killer mentality, so nobody beats him in that aspect; they're killers, but Tiger's the apex predator."
0: Love I love that phrasing, the Apex Predator. It's 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 incredible to watch him comfortable and stalking around a golf course again. And it started at, at the open last year, transferred over to the PGA championship, and then then now now that he's now that he's smelling blood in the water again, now that he's got the championship, I, I think he's gonna come out firing. So his likely schedule, uh I think he'll probably play the Wells Fargo, uh, which starts on May 5th, take the week off, go to the PGA championship. Uh, at, at uh Beth Page. Uh, great venue. I'm a huge fan of Beth Page Black. Uh, really challenging course. Then he probably goes to the Memorial next. Uh, maybe he fits in the Charles Schwab, although I doubt it. It's it's the week right after the PGA championship. Uh skips the Canadian Open, plays unfortunate. The, <laughs> unfortunate, but likely. Uh plays the US Open, which is at Pebble this year. Incredible. We're getting some incredible venues for uh for major tournaments. This year, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he manages the schedule between uh, the U.S. Open and the Open. There are four tournaments in there, two of which are brand new tournaments. Uh, and then the week before the Open is, is the John Deere Classic. I wouldn't be surprised if he actually goes over and plays something on, on the European tour.
1: Yes, that's uh, looking at those tournaments in, in front of us, those four weeks between the U.S. and the Open. He generally doesn't play in that stretch at all no maybe once but none of those tournaments are very big for the pga calendar uh i have no idea what might be going on in europe at the time i know they do the scottish open which usually attracts some guys um but um yeah we'll see yeah
0: and then and then the uh the last grand slam of the year is a little different this year is the open uh at royal port rush which is another great venue. So some really awesome golf. Uh, Tiger, the only one uh, still alive for the Grand Slam. So we will, uh, we will see. Uh, you can get Tiger to win the Grand Slam at 100 to 1, just in case that, that piques your interest, perhaps. Maybe you want to throw a cool 85K down, like that one guy did in the, in the state to won over a million dollars. But yeah, I, just an incredible tournament. I, I really enjoyed watching it throughout the week. Uh, golf is always better when tiger 's on top in my opinion and and there 's more coverage there's uh there's there 's just a better feel there 's more excitement around so i 'm excited to see what comes
1: yeah you know at the same time like I was thinking about this you you, you talk about like the excitement and it's it 's great it 's great for the game, but i don 't feel like it 's lasting do you get that do you get do you get that kind of it seems like it's it 's fleeting it 's tiger. And Tiger's only going to be around. I mean, hopefully he's around for as long as he possibly can be. But it's going to be short term, like probably the next three, four, five years. Uh, And then after that, and like, you know, you see maybe Phil is the number two guy in terms of mainstream popularity after that. But after that point, it quickly falls off in terms of mainstream popularity. So I feel like golf is in a precarious spot in terms of getting the mainstream sports coverage because once those two guys are gone i don't i like obviously there's some great players and for me and you as as big golf fans we appreciate these guys but who's going to be able to step in there i don't know and it's 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 concerning and i'm going to enjoy the next however long we have of this kind of era as it exists right now but you know we could see some some real issues going down the line here
0: Sports fans watched on Sunday at the Masters. They did. Golf fans will be the only ones watching once Tiger. And, and yeah, you could throw Phil in there once they call it a, a career. Mainly Tiger. Uh, so it's definitely going to be interesting to see where golf goes from there. I think that's probably a discussion for another podcast sometime. Uh, but just an incredible Masters tournament. Uh, it, it was something that I know I will never forget watching I'll, I'll never forget where i was i was i was watching in uh, in the living room with with mom and dad i'll never forget where i where i was for as long as i live because because it was truly a special moment that that sports fans like you and i live for want to move on to some uh some nhl and some nba playoffs now uh do you want to do hockey hockey or basketball first mac i'll let you pick
1: well considering we have some uh First round playoff results in already. Let's uh, let's start on the puck side. So... I think I know where I want to start. Yeah,
0: let, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning for a second. Uh, so I'm holding my hand up. You obviously can't see it. But uh, I'll be the first to admit, I completely botched that one. I called the Tampa Bay Lightning the greatest hockey team of all time. And I truly thought they were. And then Columbus comes in and absolutely steamrolls them. For... There were 12... Periods in the season, mm. they won eleven of them, everyone except for the first one, mm. uh, and and you're looking at this, and, and I just can't figure out uh, what happened. So for those of you who who haven't been been keeping up with it or, or heard about it, which which would be crazy, I think. Columbus last night, we're recording this uh, Wednesday evening. Columbus last night sweeps the Tampa Bay Lightning. 4 nothing, mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Lightning putting up the greatest regular season a team has ever put up in, in the NHL. Yeah, I
1: think tied, tied for best with, uh, I think, Detroit sometime de, in of the, the 90s. Teams. Yeah,
0: And Columbus squeaking mm-hmm. into the playoffs at the end. Mind you, Columbus didn't make a lot of deadline moves. And, and they were, you know, we, we called them a dangerous wildcard team. But uh, they come into Tampa Bay, go down 3 nothing after the first period in Game 1. And I watched that period, mm-hmm. and I do not know that I've ever seen a hockey team play a better period than Tampa Bay played in that in, in that game.
1: I turned off the game at that point. I switched to another game.
0: Yeah, it was, it was the Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh-New York Islanders game that I switched to as well. Comeback. Columbus has made a, an incredible comeback. Go up late off of a uh, Seth Jones, an eventual winner to go up 4-3. And they just keep rolling. They never stop. They take three straight uh some of the games were not even really that close like like columbus dominated uh game two i think it was and they looked really good at home as well and the crowd was into it torts was getting beer showers poured on top of him by fans like just an incredible atmosphere and and they took it to them
1: i'm so happy for the columbus blue jackets i'm so so happy for that franchise they have just pained and pained their way through their 20-year existence it's just been low point to low point they've made the playoffs a couple times this is their first series win is there another franchise in the NHL that hasn't won a playoff series
0: I can't think of one
1: I can't think of one either this is just like a monumental moment for that franchise I think all we talked about this year is oh they've got a whole bunch of free agents Bobrovsky he's gonna leave Panarin gonna leave Duchesne came over in the trade. He's gonna leave as well. So people were thinking that Columbus, you know, after this year, they're gonna go straight back to the bottom of the league. But I think this changes. I mean, we'll see. But this could change absolutely everything for that franchise. Six days changes the course of a franchise. I can't believe it.
0: It it, it is pretty incredible. And and one of the quotes from uh, I I can't remember his name, but. Um, one of the one of the people in the front office of columbia I, I think or columbus their uh, their general manager, he came out today and said um, you know at, at the end of the day, when we had the decision to make about whether or not to sell all of those free agents you were talking about mac or or you know try to make a run for it, uh, we decided that we didn 't want to give fans." Another year of, oh, Columbus, you know, we're we're so bad. We keep shipping off our players for draft picks, draft picks that never work out, never work out. We wanted to give fans a reason to come to the rink. And at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out, you know, he said, that's on me. And and I'll I'll take the blame for that. He's not taking any blame, that's for sure. They looked like an absolute wagon in round number one.
1: Yeah, so I think, you know, if you look at this from a, a Boston or Toronto perspective, Maybe you're the maybe you're now the favorite coming out of the east, whoever comes out of that series. But talk about a wagon, I don't want to face that team in the next round. I'd like, I think just if you ever saw an example in sports of what a bit of confidence and momentum can do, and just being able to you know trust in a game plan and stick to it, this is probably the best example I've ever seen in my life. They had a game plan. They went down 3-0 to Tampa in the first period. Stuck to the game plan. Credit to them. Credit to Torts. Everybody always gives this guy shit. But he had a terrific game plan throughout this series. And they stuck to it. Tampa couldn't counter it at all. And they just rolled. Like, the, the momentum just snowballed to the point where Tampa just looked like an absolute shell of themselves. By the time, like it wasn't it didn't even take long by game 2 they seemed like a shell of themselves they played a pretty good game 1 but uh you know by game 2 it was just i i it, like do you blame this core group who has never been able to get it done they made it to the the final once they lost uh they've had some other they've had some other chances they haven't got it done they've got probably the best core group in the league but you know they haven 't been able to do anything with it
0: they They put themselves into a, a mental pretzel that they just couldn 't escape from after after game one, and I think it 's the complete opposite of what you said with Columbus. Just a lack of confidence, and and Columbus gained all this confidence from from this amazing comeback. Where if you watch the uh, the game, where, where I eventually flipped back to it, mm. uh, Columbus didn't try to get it back all at once. They they just stuck to the game plan that Torts laid out in front of them, and and they 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 continue to just chip away, and then they sort of got a flurry of goals in in the third period. But but throughout the uh, the game, at least the parts that I watched, they they looked good, and I just don't think. Tampa Bay was was mentally prepared for this wild card team to come in and actually play hockey against them. And I don't think they were a, a, ever able to to separate themselves from that. And, and I also think that it could have been a little bit of Tampa Bay not really having played any meaningful hockey in a really that's, long time. That's
1: what John Cooper had to say. And I watched like I always love see when you know something goes to absolute shit and it's over and a team has gone out like this. There's not too many examples that are extreme as this, but I love watching to see what the reaction is. So I saw John Cooper said that, and that's basically the point he brought up. I'm surprised the coach brought this up, that they didn't play enough meaningful games. I'm really surprised he brought this up, because it's essentially saying that, you know, your guys, you know, aren't battle-tested, you know, they haven't gone through the rigors before, because they have, and this core has. And I saw they asked a few players about this uh, after the game, after the press conference, and they did not look happy with what he had to say about that. Uh, it it's, looked, it's interesting, that, yeah. it seemed, seemed like some very divisive comments because it's essentially, I mean, it's somewhat describing the context of their season. They had such a good season, but at the same time, you know, this core has all this experience under their belt already, so. You know, these guys have gone through the battles. They know what to expect. So he's essentially throwing them under the bus and saying they can't handle the pressure because they've never been through it. They have. So if it feels like it's very divisive, and we'll see where it goes from there.
0: Especially with him getting that big uh, big contract extension that, mm. he, that he just signed. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think... Uh, the team was sort of in shambles once uh, Kucherov went down, with uh, got that suspension, and then uh, Victor Hedman got injured. Mm-hmm. Definitely, you know, tough to see your two probably best players uh have issues like that in a playoff series, but you still don't expect to get swept if if you're tied for the best team in, in NHL regular season history. But
1: thought, thought Stamkos had a poor series as yeah, well. He had yeah. I think 2 points for the 4 games and at a lot of times I was asking myself, you know, where is this guy on the ice? I haven't heard his name. He seemed pretty invisible. And for a guy that's, that's making as much as he is, uh, you know, it kind of, kind of makes me glad that, you know, we picked, uh, we picked well, he, <laughs> they kind of picked for us. Yeah. But Johnny T came over to the Buds. So I'm very happy he was the one who decided to come home.
0: I, I agree, definitely. I, I do like Steven Stamkos, but yeah, definitely not a, not a great series from him. Uh let's talk about the other uh the other sweep that happened last night. One that I was almost equally as surprised was a was a clean sweep the New York Islanders mm. getting the job done against mm. the Pittsburgh Penguins.
1: Yeah, you know, Benny, I'm going to be honest, as as surprised as I was about the Tampa series, I was equally not surprised by this series. Really? I for me I made some money off this series.
0: I love it. I love it. Because
1: I don't I don't know what it is, but just watching both these teams through the regular season, and especially late, how New York Islanders kind of just came on through the second half of the season, and really, you know, you could especially see it and the times when Toronto came and visited the island. They, as a team, as a franchise, with... How everything has gone for them in the past you know, 10, 15 years, as long as I've been watching, and then Tavares to boot, leaving after you know kind of seeming committal to you know staying with the franchise, being the kind of centerpiece, and then just kind of bolting to go home. That organization has such a chip on their shoulder, and it's amazing to see how that comes out on the ice and with the fans. Because it is it is something, it they are a tough tough team to play against, and I think you saw through that series it was the most I think probably the most physical series in the first round that I can think of. Uh, I think that's especially shocking because you, you see some of the West matchups and you think oh sh-, you know these guys are going to go at it pretty pretty big time with some heavyweights on both sides, but the Islanders are a gritty team that you know I think with the chip on their shoulder and the way they're playing right now, where it's kind of a, a very collective system, it's perfect for the playoffs. Perfect.
0: Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in round two. Uh, for those of you that, that don't know or didn't listen to the last podcast, uh, the Islanders got to play in, in the Nassau Coliseum round one, which was absolutely buzzing mm. for the uh, the two games that were there. The NHL is making them go back to the uh, the Barclays now for round two. What a shame! Shame!
1: Shame on the NHL. <laughs> I hope it's not Batman making those those decisions.
0: So it'll be uh, interesting to see. Likely against Washington in round two should be a phenomenal series. Mac, I want to get to uh, basketball. So we're going to go through each series, and I just want your quick predictions as to who's going to take the uh, the remainder of the series. So we're watching uh we're recording right before puck drop mm. on uh the Bruins and the Maple Leafs game 4. Toronto up 2-1. Mac, how is this series going to finish? Super quick.
1: This is really tough. It's it's so tough because there's such little separating these two teams and we've seen it over and over again play play out like this. Uh You know, I think it's one of those things where Less expectation is on Toronto than there was last year coming into these playoffs. So they're coming in as a bit of a dog in this series. So I think uh, it's kind of going to be a similar effect to Washington last year, where they were compared to some of the years where they had the President's Trophy runs and kind of got shot down by Pittsburgh in the playoffs. I think Toronto is gonna finally make it through, but I think it's gonna take seven.
0: Well, I like it. I like it. I, you know what? I I said Boston in seven before the uh, the series started. Mm-hmm. We saw game one when Toronto can go in and weather the storm in Boston. Yeah. I love your pick, Boston and seven. Or, uh, sorry, Toronto in seven, Toronto and seven. We're going with the Maple Leafs. They are finally going to get the job done. I think at the beginning of the series, the Leafs would have known that they likely were going to need to win two games in the Boston barn in order to yeah. take the series, and it's going to be Benny, the first and the last.
1: I just want to point out something briefly before we move on. In terms of a rallying point, A lot of times you see teams that make a run. There's this one instant in time where the team can rally around.
0: Do you know what I'm going to say? Mitchie Marner at the end of the hockey game, blocking two shots. I was lucky enough to be at game three. The place was going bananas. Right.
1: Everyone could feel that that was a moment. The team knew it. The fans knew it. And you could just see how much his teammates appreciated that, and the fact that a guy like that, you know, he's a shrimp, like yeah, tiny guy, tiny, tiny guy, guy <laughs> tiny guy, and a skill guy that you know you don't really want going into you know kind of the trenches. You kind of want to keep him safe a little bit. The fact that that guy is willing to you know kind of put his body on the line and do whatever it takes, everyone's gonna follow suit. I think.
0: I love it. And I, I love think it.
1: that's that's gonna be the small difference.
0: I hope you're right, man. I hope you're right. Uh, so let's stick with the other Eastern Conference series. Washington leads Carolina 2-1. Who you got? I, I got Washington finishing it out. I think they they get the job done in mm. Carolina even after a weaker uh, performance in Game 3. I think they, they get the game in Carolina and then they finish it off at home five games.
1: Mm. Mm. I don't know about this one, actually. I think Washington's... To be had. I think, you know, they're on a bit of a Stanley Cup hangover. It just doesn't seem like the type of squad that can go back to back. For me, that's my opinion. I still see them getting through this series, but I think Carolina is going to extend it. I see Washington in six or
0: seven. Ooh, I like it. I like it. Um, Also, uh, Dana White should offer Alexander Ovechkin a contract immediately. That was absolutely insane. uh, That fight that he had with uh, Shveshnikov. Uh, definitely not what you like to see, but Ovechkin was throwing bombs better than most MMA artists To so be honest, do.
1: that's what I like to see,
0: you know? Well, you don't like to see a guy get knocked out,
1: but... Honestly, it's fine. <laughs> you know, he had it coming. Had it coming.
0: It, it was definitely a sur- chippy, sur- chippy surprise game.
1: surprised that he went after a young Russian guy, though. Very, for sure. Very surprising. Yeah. I think, I thought, you know, he might look out for a guy like that, but...
0: Uh, Let's flip over to the Western Conference now. Uh, Nashville leads 2-1 over the Stars. They puck drop for Game 4 in about an hour from Dallas. Quick thought. Nashville's my pick out of the West. So
1: Nashville going through. I think Dallas Dallas is a solid team. Still not their time, though. I think Nashville going through in six.
0: I like that pick. Nashville and six. That's what I'm going with as well. Uh, Flames, Avalanche. The Flames, or sorry, Colorado leads the series 2-1. and with
1: game. Avalanche are a real sleeper yeah. in these playoffs, I think. Uh, with the skill they have up front, suspect defense.
0: Yep, for sure. Obviously. Like any wildcard team. I but,
1: think. Uh, you know, they've got some, some great defense, some great goaltending. The past couple games, a couple blowouts, and their their offense is rolling, so I like I like Colorado. I'm not totally sold on Calgary yet. You know, pretty pretty young team. I think generally, um, so I see Colorado coming through this. I think uh, Colorado is going to go through in uh, seven.
0: Interesting. I think uh, I, I'm. I like the seven games. I think Calgary gets it done. I think Johnny Hammond Cheese is going to step up at some point. I'm not. Sh- I'm. I don't know. He's too good know. of a player not to, in my opinion. But can he, well, can one guy do it? Do it all? And that's them. the thing. That's that's the question. But I like Calgary in seven. Uh, let's go over to the Blues and the Jets. Very interesting series. Winnipeg getting the job done in overtime last night. I think it was Kyle Connor getting the overtime winner. Uh, series tied 2-2, Game 5 goes tomorrow night in Winnipeg. I've got the Jets coming back to the MTS in Game 7, getting the job done. I think it's been a big break for Winnipeg to finally
1: be able to start solving Bennington because they were getting really frustrated in the first couple games, as as teams throughout this second half of the season where he's been absolutely lights out for them. But definitely getting the breakthrough in overtime last night. I think the Jets are the better team in this series, and I see them going four straight.
0: Uh, so I see them in six. In six? No. Yep. I don't disagree with the pick. I'm going to go with seven still. Uh, last but not least, uh, we've got the Vegas Golden Knights, or should we just call them Ryan Reeves, because that's all that seems to they need to beat the San Jose Sharks. Uh, versus the Sharks, Vegas leads 3 1 after winning last night's game a whopping 5 0. Uh, I think Vegas gets the job done in San Jose, finishes it off in five. Ryan Reeves is totally in the head of he every single member of that Sharks team. It's incredible to watch. Hell of a player. Very
1: underrated player. Very underrated player. Um, um Yeah, Vegas, I, I like that. Vegas in five. I, I think I think again they're they're the better uh team in this series. Maybe. You know, you don't look maybe top end skill wise, but I think, you know, the same could be said last year for sure. But I think when it comes to uh, uh, playoff series, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, Vegas going through in five.
0: Love it. There's the NHL. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we don't look like fools tomorrow morning when some of these games happen. But uh, all right, let's switch over to the association. We don't have much time left. So we're just going to talk Toronto Raptors now. Uh, game one, tough one. Tough game one to watch. The Raptors lose by three last second, not not quite last second, but last uh, minute winner. And they lose by three. Then they come back. Uh, Kyle Lowry was not there in game one, does show up in game two. Mm -hmm. Huge win last night, the Raptors. Ended up winning by 29 points. Mm. Playoff Kawhi was everything I dreamed he would be Mm. and more.
1: Yes, he's been terrific. I thought it was pretty interesting watching the kind of uh, demeanor of the Orlando Magic late in that game last night. Because I thought, you know, they, I think they probably went into Toronto and got done what they wanted to, regardless of the fact they got smashed last night. They split. That's, probably as much as you could ask for as a as a seven seed. And they looked really down on themselves at the end of that game. Uh, I think, you know, they kind of came to a realization that they're outmatched. I think they look very frustrated, very uh, disappointed, very disheartened. And I don't think they should feel like that at all. But my worry is that that's going to spiral on them. I think they should actually be pretty high on themselves given the way they took out that first game. Cuz now they're going home, they got the they got the split, they got a couple opportunities. And with Toronto's playoff history, you know, Kawhi be damned, you know, he's here, but we've already seen that, you know, it's not, you know, it's not going to solve all our playoff woes. Look at game 1, you know, that happened. So uh Orlando, I think they still have a great shot in this series, but I'm I'm worried about where their 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 heads at mentally. But I, I think I think Toronto's gonna gonna roll from here actually.
0: I, I agree. I, I think you look at game one, Orlando played just about as well as they could. DJ they, they, Augustine is not gonna play a better basketball game. And at the end of the day, I, I was saying I think I said it to you or maybe it was someone else. If DJ Augustine decides that he wants to shoot 75% from three-point range for the series, mm-hmm. there's absolutely nothing the Raptors can do about it. They, they contested shots well. There were a couple open ones that they made, but they played relatively good defense, I thought. Shots weren't falling on the offensive end. Uh, so I, I think it was just about as bad, as unlucky a game mm. that we had and just about as well as the Magic could play, and they yeah. still only won by three points.
1: Yeah, so I thought you were going to say we played a, game there and you didn't end up saying that but I think I agree with you in the fact that we had a lot of the right ideas going on obviously made some adjustments for the second game you know you can't stay the exact same but uh, I thought we ha- we played with the with the right intensity i don't oh, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think we lacked the intensity in game one oh, I, it was game I, one yeah. yeah yeah i I thought I thought we didn't lack the intensity in game one I think just you know when it comes to some of the shots falling for Orlando and not for us uh you know it's it's something that you know you talk about sustainability and i just don't think for either team uh in terms of luck it's sa- sustaining something like that i just don't think you know you could see it happening and that's exactly what happened for game 2
0: for sure the intensity wasn't uh it wasn't bad in game 1 Game 2 was absolutely electric on the defensive end. Those boys were getting after it and I I loved every second of watching it. Great performance. Uh I love that. Uh, so yes, the Magic should be happy with the split, but I think we crushed their souls last night. Like I truly do think that that we
1: I think we did. Yeah, I think we did, but I don't think the Magic should let the that get to their heads because I hope they, they do. still I think they <laughs> I think they will. But I don't think they should i, I agree
0: with that. That, that that's a fair statement if, if for you're
1: sure. Steve Clifford, the biggest challenge for you for Friday is gonna be you know keeping the morale high because you know you still played a pretty damn good game one, and you got two games at home coming up where I don't know we'll see what the Orlando crowd's gonna be like, but they're gonna have some some level of home court advantage
0: for sure i I think that uh if you look at the raptors performance especially on the defensive end as long as orlando was not shooting out of their mind from three-point range like they were in game one like just some ridiculous shots that went in uh they're playing the pick and roll really well the raptors are i really liked what they did last night uh coming above and trapping for a lot of it i I think that's really smart at the end of the day if you get caught inside and they break the uh the, the pnr i mean that's fine i think you can live with that, and then I thought they played the perimeter really, really well. They weren't, they weren't out of position. They weren't chasing a lot. Uh, ultimately, like I think, I think you want a guy like Vucevic mm-hmm. to have to beat you against a guy like Marcus or a guy like Serge Ibaka. I, I think if you get into a situation where that happens, I think that that's what the Raptors want. I don't think they want shots from the outside. So I, I really liked what they were doing. Uh, I think the Raptors you know, showed what, what they can do and, and showed that they are are a team that uh, should win. It was nice to see last night. It felt like a regular season game. It was so easy. And the Raptors playoff games don't normally feel like no. that. So I, I, I think the Raptors are going to continue to have success. I actually think they go down to Orlando and win both games and then come back. The men, the Magic are just going to be crushed mentally and we're going to take them in five. I hope you're right. I, I think, you know, we've seen
1: some points in time before uh, in the playoffs where we have had big wins like this. I think of like maybe like the Milwaukee series when we played them a couple years ago. We had some, you know, a couple couple kind of blowout wins against them, but, you know, it didn't determine further games. So I think having Kawhi, of course, will will kind of steady the ship for us so we're not so up and down. But, you know... Given our history, we can't count anything out right now.
0: It's definitely fair, but I I like the I like what Kawhi is bringing. I think he's doing some uh, some good things for sure. Settling everyone down. Uh, the jumper looks sweet. It's very very smooth. Very sweet. I'm I'm loving it. But yeah, yeah, he certainly
1: proved to be. You know, we all thought you know we're bringing in Kawhi for the playoffs, and we got his best version in the playoffs. I think this kind of you know cements. That you know, it's been a couple years. Um, people are wondering, you know, can he still can he still ball in the playoffs? I think he's been, you know, he's proved that very quickly. So I think this once again reestablishes him as top five player in the show.
0: Definitely a uh, resounding great move by Masai, and the best part of last night was Masai I when, when Kawhi yes. checked out. Yes. And Masai, you know, he looked like he looked like Thanos from Infinity War admiring his work yeah. after everything, looking over at the the standing ovation that the crowd gave Kawhi when he came out. So definitely exciting. Uh, game 3 goes Friday night, so uh, definitely make sure you uh, tune in. Hopefully the Raptors can continue their strong performance. Mac I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been great catching up, all things Tiger, hockey, basketball. What a week. What a week of sports it has been. I'm very excited to throw it over to a very, very special interview now. Uh, I was able to sit down with Blue Jays legend in the radio booth, uh, Jerry Howarth. Uh, I got to meet him at an event at the museum Uh, here in Waterloo or KW uh, last week. And and he he couldn't have been nicer. It, It was incredible to speak to him about uh some of his memories from the Toronto Blue Jays and and you know like I said at the beginning of the episode these were moments that, that I got to listen to growing up and listen to him describe what he was thinking and, and feeling uh was just incredible and it's something I'll never forget so I want to thank Mr. Howard for coming on it was it was absolutely incredible I hope you guys liked the interview uh so without further ado presenting Mr. Jerry Howarth All right. I'm very excited to welcome on a very special guest of the podcast. Most of you will know him as the voice of Toronto Blue Jays baseball for over three and a half decades. Jerry Howarth, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for agreeing to come on Hot Takes Only. I want to start with one of the most iconic moments in Toronto Blue Jays history, the Jose Bautista bat flip. One of your most legendary calls was actually you letting the crowd listen to the noise in the stadium after the bat flip. What was going through your mind when that happened?
2: Well, first of all, Ben, I have a son named Ben, so uh, it's a pleasure to be with you here and your podcast. Well, in the top of the inning with uh, Texas and the Blue Jays tied 2-2, two to two, that's when Russ Martin, the catcher, threw the ball back to the mound, but he hit the bat accidentally of Shin Su Chu, and the ball rolled up along third, and Rugnit Odor scored. While the, ref- the umpire behind the plate, Dale Scott, he said, no, it's a dead ball, he sent him back to third. Everything was fine. But then... Dale overruled the call and said, no, that ball was in play, my mistake, and he allowed Oduar to score. Well, now all hell broke loose at the Rogers Center, and people were throwing all kinds of stuff on the field. And the reason I mention all this in detail is that not only did Texas take the lead, 3-2, to two, in the final game of the best-of-five ALDS, the division series, but at the same time, too, the top of the inning and the bottom of the inning, combined, one-seventh inning, took 53 minutes to play. So that's why when Bautista finally came to the plate, bases loaded, uh, Josh Donaldson had popped one up to bring in the tying run 3-3. Three to three, Now there's two men on. And Bautista hits that bat flip home run. And after I called it, yes, sir, there she goes, I didn't talk, as you mentioned, for about a minute. And the reason I did that, Ben, was I wanted to enjoy the crowd. It was as loud as I'd ever heard. I wanted people across the country and wherever they were to take in that sound too like, I'm right there, I can hear the crowd, and I did not want to talk over that. Incredible. One of my favorite moments listening to you, for sure. Uh, you're known for keeping an incredibly
0: detailed and annotated scorecard throughout your career. What sort of prompted the, uh, the beginning
2: of that, and how did you find it helped you throughout your career? Well, I always tell broadcasters, too, young broadcasters, your paperwork is so important to the success of your calling a game, because you have to have the details to then not only call it, Take a look back an inning later, but at the end of the game, too, wrap up your game with key moments and plays not made or plays made or home runs or double plays. And I thought that was imperative uh, that I do that. In my first ever AAA game in 1974, I had the wrong person scoring the winning run. And the reason for that was I was occupied too much with my paperwork, and in the bottom of the ninth inning in Tacoma, I didn't see pinch runner Jim Wyke Jim Van White come in for George Peña, and he scored the winning run. I read that the next day in the paper. I had Peña scoring the winning run. So it was a wake-up call, Jerry, you have to have good paperwork, but you have to keep your eyes on the field, and I was able to do both in my career.
0: Throughout your lengthy career, you got to call and witness a lot of incredible individual performances. Is there one that stands out to you when you reflect on your time with the Blue Jays?
2: Well, I, I would say one of them was John McDonald's home run on Father's Day. His dad had just passed away, and we didn't know this at the time, but his dad's last words were, John, can you hit a home run for me? The other one was the uh, Game 6 World Series in Atlanta, 1992. The Blue Jays in their first World Series, and it went extra innings, so my inning was the 11th, and I called Dave Winfield's two-run double for the lead. And, and then when we took the commercial break, I said, Jerry, do the right thing. So when we came back... I said, ladies and gentlemen, I've had the pleasure of calling Dave Winfield's two-run double for the lead, 4-2. to two. Here's my partner, Tom Cheek, to take you the rest of the way. and He was so happy, and Ben, I couldn't have been happier had I called it myself. Incredibly iconic moment.
0: When you reflect on your career, were, was there a favorite ballpark you had throughout your time?
2: Well, I really love Fenway Park. It was the oldest ballpark in the majors, still is, built in 1912. I love the close proximity of the fans to the field. Boston is always a team to beat with the Yankees. Uh, Their crowds were sensational. In the eighth inning, between innings, they would play uh, Sweet Caroline, my favorite song, so that was pretty cool too. I like Camden Yards in Baltimore, Oriole Park, really, at Camden Yards. And then I like Safeco Field in Seattle. I think those three outside the Rogers Center were my three favorite ballparks. Incredible. Final question for you. Would we be able to get a yes, sir, there she goes? Yes,
0: sir, there she goes. Thank you very much, Mr. Howard. This was incredible. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Call me Jerry. (laughs) I will. Thanks, Jerry. Okay, you're welcome.